Book 5, Chapter 4 of A Class Book of Old Testament History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by J.L. A Class Book of Old Testament History by George Frederick McClear. Book 5, Chapter 4. War with the Midianites through the death of Moses. Numbers 25 through 32. Deuteronomy 32. B.C. 1451. But, though his tongue had pronounced eloquent blessings upon the people he found he could not curse, Balaam's heart was filled with malice against them. Dismissed by the king of Moab without the promised honors and rewards, he lingered amongst the neighboring Midianites, and with the keen hatred of his now-hardened heart counseled them to join the children of Moab in seducing the Israelites from their allegiance to Jehovah. The festival of Baal Peor was at hand and was celebrated with all the unbridled licentiousness of a heathen orgy. If the Israelites could be persuaded to join in it, they might, he suggested, become as other men, and the invisible protection now vouchsafed would be withdrawn. Numbers 31 verse 16. His artful suggestion was adopted. The festival was celebrated, and the Israelites fell into the snare. They joined themselves to Baal Peor, took part in the hideous rites, and defiled themselves before the Lord. Thus they brought upon themselves a curse far more real than any that the divinations of Balaam could have effected. Had such apostasy gone unpunished, the strength of Israel would indeed have ceased, and the counsels of the wily prophet would have been successful. The crisis required severe and exemplary visitation. A plague broke out which swept off upwards of 24,000, and the princes of the tribes, at the command of Moses, slew the guilty with unsparing vigor, and hanged them up before the Lord. On this occasion Phineas, the son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron, particularly distinguished himself by his righteous zeal, which was accepted as an atonement for the people, and rewarded not only by the cessation of the pestilence, but with a promise that the priesthood should remain in his family forever. But a terrible vengeance was denounced against the crafty Midianites, and after a second numbering of the people by Moses and Eliezer, a sacred war was proclaimed. A thousand warriors from each tribe, led not by Joshua but by Phinehas, and accompanied by the ark, went forth to execute the task of righteous retribution. The silver trumpet sounded the signal for the onset, and the Midianites were utterly routed. Five of their chiefs, Evi and Rechem, Zur and Hur and Reba, as also all their males, were put to death. Their cities were burnt, their goodly castles fired, their women and children taken captive. Nor did the crafty prophet escape. He received the wages of his unrighteousness and perished by the sword. Numbers 31 verse 8 and Second Peter 2 verse 15. The country east of the Jordan, which the Israelites had now wrested from Sihon and Og, was, to a great extent, a long tableland of undulating downs, famed for its rich pasturage, and clothed with luxuriant vegetation. It was the forest land, the pasture land of Palestine, a place for cattle, Numbers 32 verse 1. Of the tribes of Israel, as we have already noticed, Reuben and Gad were eminently pastoral. They had a very great multitude of cattle, Numbers 32 verse 1. On the conclusion, therefore, of the sacred war against the Midianites, they approached Moses and the elders of Israel with the petition that they might be allowed to settle down in a region so peculiarly suited to their requirements. This request seemed to the Israelitish leader to savor of a desire to shrink from the arduous work which lay before the nation, and as likely to discourage the people from crossing over and attempting the conquest of the rugged western country, and he reproached them for their apparent selfishness and indifference to the welfare of their brethren. 
But the two tribes protested their perfect sympathy with the great national cause. They were ready to send the flower of their troops across the river and only wished for the present to build sheepfolds for their cattle and cities for their little ones, whether they might return on the conquest of the western country. This promise was deemed sufficient, and Moses distributed between them the lately conquered territory, assigning to Reuben and Gad the kingdom of Sihon from the Arnon to the Jabbok, and entrusting to the half of the warlike tribe of Manasseh, whose warriors had taken so prominent a part in the conquest of the east of the Jordan, Numbers 32 verse 39 and Deuteronomy 3 verses 13 through 15, the inaccessible heights and impassable ravines of Bashan, and the almost impregnable tract of Argob, the chief stronghold of the giant Og. Meanwhile, it had been once and again intimated to the Israelitish leader that the day drew near when he must be gathered unto his fathers. Under the special direction, therefore, of Jehovah, he now occupied himself with giving final and specific instructions respecting the future government of the nation. Joshua, his minister, was solemnly appointed to be his successor. The boundaries of the promised land were definitely marked out, Numbers 34. Its cities with their suburbs, including six cities of refuge for the unquitting manslayer, were assigned to the tribe of Levi, Numbers 32, and other necessary regulations were made. For an ordinary leader, this would have been enough, but the recent sad occurrences in the matter of Baal Peor had only too surely reminded Moses of the fickle tendencies of the nation, and none knew better than himself the awful consequences of national apostasy. For the last time, therefore, he assembled the people together and delivered to them his final counsels. Commencing with a retrospect of the past forty years, he reminded them of the goodness and faithfulness which had always followed them, in spite of their murmurings and discontent, and the victories they had been enabled to achieve. Deuteronomy chapter 1 through chapter 4 verse 43. He recapitulated the law given on Mount Sinai with such additions or modifications as his own enlarged experience suggested. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 1 through chapter 26 verse 19, and appointed a day on which, at the conclusion of the conquest, its blessings and curses were to be ratified by the nation with the most imposing and solemn ceremonies. Deuteronomy 27. He then, for the last time, enlarged on the exalted vocation of the nation and the blessings which would assuredly accompany obedience to the divine laws in the city and the field, in their basket and their store, in their going out and their coming in and dwelt with no less earnestness on the terrible punishments which would follow apostasy and transgression, and furnishing images for which the whole realm of nature was exhausted, in which nothing, excepting the real horrors of the Jewish history, the misery of their sieges, the cruelty, the contempt, the oppressions for which ages the scattered, despised, and detested nation have endured, can approach. Deuteronomy chapters 28-30 through 30. But oral delivery was not deemed sufficient. He therefore wrote out the law with its blessings and its curses and gave it to the priests, charging them to place it beside the ark in the Holy of Holies and to read it in the hearing of all the people once every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles, Deuteronomy 31, verses 9 and 26. Then turning to Joshua, whom he had already nominated as his successor, he bade him be strong and of good courage, assuring him that Jehovah would be with him and would make all he did to prosper. But as if to deepen the gloomy forebodings past experience must have suggested, the Lord himself not only announced in the clearest terms the future apostasy of the people, Deuteronomy 31, verses 16 through 18, but directed Moses to compose a song, which the people were to learn and teach their children as a testimony against themselves in the days to come, when they should have turned unto other gods and served them and provoked the Lord and broken his covenant. Deuteronomy 31 verses 18 and 21 and Deuteronomy 32 verses 1 through 43. 
Having composed this song of witness and pronounced his last solemn blessing, not like Jacob upon twelve men gathered round his deathbed, but on a mighty nation, on the ten thousands of Ephraim and the thousands of Manasseh, the aged prophet, whose eye was not dim nor his natural force abated, was warned that his hour was come. From the plains of Moab he went up on the mountain of Nebo, to the highest point in the long eastern range over against Jericho, and there he who called him to his high mission at the burning bush showed him that land, which had been so long sworn to the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Eastward and westward, southward and northward, he surveyed the goodly land. He saw it all with his eyes, though he was not to set his foot thereon. Beneath him lay the tents of Israel ready for the march, and over against them, distinctly visible in its grove of palm trees, the stately Jericho, key of the land of promise. Beyond was spread out the whole range of the mountains of Palestine in its fourfold masses, all Gilead with Hermon and Lebanon in the east and north, the hills of Galilee overhanging the lake of Gennesaret, the wide opening where lay the plain of Esdraelon, the future battlefield of the nations, and the rounded summits of Ebal and Gerizim. Immediately in front of him the hills of Judea and amidst them, seen distinctly through the rents in their rocky walls, Bethlehem on its narrow ridge, and the invincible fortress of Jebus. Such was his Pisgah view. And then all was over. The great prophet had served his day and his generation. He had reached his 120th year, and his work was ended. There, in the land of Moab, he died, and he whom he had served faithfully in all his house buried him in a valley or a ravine in the land of Moab, over against the idol sanctuary of Beth Pure. Deuteronomy 34, verse 6. But no man knoweth of his sepulchre unto this day. End of Book 5, Chapter 4